and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast. My name is Amanda Woodward and I'm pleased to have with me Alexandra Powell from Powell Properties. And today we're going to be talking about her growing business and focusing on the design and build elements which are available to those investing locally in Staffordshire and no doubt probably a little bit further afield as well. So Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure, my pleasure. So the last time we had you on the podcast was February 2021, where we had, it was episode two, where we had a couple of other ladies in property with us as well, doing a a great episode there. And from what I can see, things have been great for your business over the last year or so. So perhaps you can just, for anyone listening, perhaps for the first time, share with us a little bit about you and also about your business. Absolutely. So I'm Alexandra Powell. I'm an architect and property developer originally from Athens on the coast of Greece. And over my 17-year architectural career, I've worked on residential master planning projects, shopping centres, social housing, commercial conversion projects. But my biggest passion has always been in residential design. I absolutely love designing people's homes. So in 2019, while I was on maternity leave with my son, I decided to quit my job, even though I'd only just qualified as an architect. I decided to to sell my house and move to Stoke-on-Trent with my husband, where we set up our design and construction business, Powell Design and Construction. So that was in 2019. And over the last three years, we have developed over a million pounds worth of construction. So we've delivered projects across Staffordshire, but other areas a bit further afield. So even though we're based in Staffordshire, we cover a sort of 30 to 40 mile radius around Stoke-on-Trent. And yeah, we we absolutely love what we do. So aside from our own property portfolio, which is mainly buy-to-lets and bungalow flips, We have worked on projects for property investors, including HMOs and other projects. So it's a huge, huge variety that we get involved in. Good stuff. And we've got the pleasure of creating a two-part series with Alexandra, where we're going to be covering two key areas that most property investors will use in their business, which is both the design element and working with an architect and also the build element working with a build team. So kicking off with part one, all around design and the role of an architect. Now, you have a huge amount of experience with your architectural career covering different types of developments. I'd like to discuss the role of an architect, perhaps for what I call a small property investor or someone doing small deals. And we'll also talk about the role of an architect in slightly larger projects. If I think you could kick off with the question of just talking us through why a smaller property investor would use the services of an architect and at what point through perhaps one of their early purchases would they engage somebody like yourself? Sure. So whether you're working in a beginner sort of strategy like a small buy-to-let, whether you're moving into HMOs, flips, title splits, small maybe land development projects, 
having an architect on board can be really, really useful. So as part of your power team, I think even as a beginner, you should engage an architect and things that they can do for you are simple sort of feasibility studies, uh, site analysis. So even prior to purchase, you can engage an architect to figure out how the lighting works around your property based on the orientation, what potential you might have to add value by creating an extension or a loft conversion, what you can do under permitted development. So maybe an architect can do some drawings for you without necessarily needing to go in for planning. Or maybe you want to have a backup strategy. So maybe you're raising finance for a deal and you want to have a plan B if you were to convert the property into a HMO. So then an architect could do a, a quick kind of sketch proposal of how a three-bed buy-to-let could be converted into a five-bed HMO, for example. And then moving on to things like compliance with building regulations, helping you navigate the planning process, even suggestions for increasing your EPC. So in making sure your building is as energy efficient as possible. And if you don't have a lot of experience working with a builder, an architect could help you put together a scope of work so you can communicate with your builder very clearly and get the types of quotes that are comparable to each other. Okay, wow, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. So for somebody who's starting out perhaps with a one or two purchases in Stoke and perhaps a little bit nervous around the whole design part of the business or part of the project, should I say, there's a lot of help there that an architect can provide which I think possibly some beginners aren't aware of when it comes to you know EPC side of things scope of works etc so the architect's role while some might believe is linked to just detailed drawings or planning applications it's actually quite a broad array of services it sounds like is that fair to fair to say absolutely you could have an architect as a project manager yeah. So if you wanted to use a project manager who has a deep understanding of contract management, of valuations, making sure that you don't get ripped off by your builder, so they're not charging you for more work than they've actually done on site, an architect would be a great person, especially maybe a young architect who isn't charging a lot of money for their services, because I think maybe a lot of people relate architecture to kind of luxury. It can be a very affordable service to have if you find the right person. So maybe a local architect, not a great big firm that charge, you know, yeah. big fees because of their overheads, but someone who is able to do kind of smaller projects. Even something as simple as doing a full measured survey of your property so you don't have to rely on the estate agent's inaccurate floor plans could really help you up your game. You could get an architect to do marketing plans, for example. So when you put your property on right move, it stands out from the rest because it's got proper floor plans indicating furniture layouts so a potential tenant or buyer if you're selling the property can really visualize how they could live in the property and it looks like you've put more effort into it than just getting your builder in and asking them to replace a kitchen and a bathroom yeah and in terms of costs you mentioned there and obviously it's very difficult to put a number on it let's take one of those things that you suggested so let's say an architect is engaged to come to the property, do a full measured plan, so at least you know what sort of floor space you're working with, and perhaps design where your beds are going to go, your sockets, some of your lighting, something that we can present to a builder to say, hey, this is what we want you to create, a little bit of kitchen design, bathroom design, and layouts and stuff like that. So what would one expect to pay for a service like that with a local architect? 
and how would that sort of relationship work? So you'd initially engage an architect for consultation. So you'd discuss the brief, you'd share maybe the title deeds or the legal pack, even if you hadn't bought the property yet. And then the architect would put together a fee proposal in stages based on the different design services that you want with timescales. So I break things down based on the RIBA stages, which you can Google and you can see how they're set out. So stage zero would be the initial kind of concept and consultation. That would include the the initial phone call. Then stage one, you could start doing the measured survey and the existing floor plans and elevations. Then stage two, you'd move on to concept design. Stage three, you'd move on to full-on kind of planning drawings. Stage four, technical design and so on. And that relationship can move all the way until post-completion if you want. But you have the choice of picking the services that you need. So a full-measured survey, for example, of a a three-bedroom semi-detached house could be about between sort of four and five hundred pounds maybe. Depends what services you wanted. If you wanted the reflected ceiling plans with where the lights were going, maybe electrical points. It depends. You'd have to discuss that based on your brief. But as a rule of thumb for a development project, you'd you'd budget between around 7% of your construction budget towards professional fees. So if you needed an architect, a structural engineer, um, you budget at least 7% of your construction cost. Okay, that makes sense. And that's quite a good you know, just a, a steer to begin with, I guess, for a small investor looking to to work with an architect. So if we were looking at your three bed terrace type property where some reconfiguring is required. So let's say we're moving a bathroom from downstairs to upstairs, or we're doing a HMO where we're moving the kitchen into the center of the house and we're creating a bedroom out the back. What sort of services would be required for that? You're effectively reconfiguring the house. Exactly. So the initial consultation stays, stays the same, establishing the brief, the measured survey and existing drawings stay the same. But then the initial output would be a concept design where the architects worked out the minimum room sizes, where the ensuites need to go, how big they need to be thinking about circulation. So how you're going to enter and leave the building, how you're going to move around your furniture. Maybe your architect will suggest relocating a back door and replacing it with a window to optimize your kitchen. So looking at the layout holistically to make sure it's optimized and maximized for your end user. So with your end user in mind. So maybe part of your brief will be, I don't want to be buying loads of furniture. So can we have some built-in storage? So your architect could find those kind of spaces in between the chimney breasts and design something simple where your builder can a simple you know timber stud structure and create a wardrobe in a much cheaper way than if you had to furnish a property and those become real selling points and thinking where's the bed going to go where are the sockets going to go the light switches so you get this kind of designed feel to the space so you so under your sort of reba plan of work that you're at concept design stage is that is that fair to say at this point Yes. So that's still concept design stage. If you move to the next stage, then you'd be looking at a full specification and maybe providing the full scope of work, maybe room by room elevations to show at what height you want the curtain poles, where, you know, the, t- the types of door handles and doors you want to use. So really becoming very, very specific so that if you were to get three builders to quote, they'd be quoting apples for apples. There'd be no variation in that quote because you've explained exactly what it is that you want no room for interpretation 
And it makes project management much easier. If you've explained exactly what you want and every room has its own document, so a plan, room elevations and some notes, everyone from the bricklayer to the decorator and every trade in between will know what they need to do. I mean, I can certainly vouch for that. We've done, you know, a ton of developments and there's been developments where we've been there with a spray can, you know, spraying an X in the wall where the socket's supposed to go right through to, you know, having full specifications, drawings going out for tender and then builders working off proper plans. And I think it goes without saying which is the right right one to do, which is the wrong one to do. It protects you as well in terms of time and cost because people are then liable for what you've asked them to do. You can hold them to it. Whereas if it's he said, she said, I didn't see the cross on the wall, the post-it note fell off. It's a bit harder to then argue if something goes uh, off, off track. Yeah. And I think the costs of the services repay themselves, don't they? So I think in the early days, especially when we were refurbishing smaller projects, we would just you know, work with the builder, we'd point to them where we wanted stuff, we'd let them crack on with it, probably shout at them afterwards for getting it wrong, even though the direction wasn't particularly good. And then in hindsight, you look back and think, yeah, I think we should have engaged you know, an architect a, a lot earlier on. So if I was to Give a, give a tip, I'd say definitely get people like yourself on your team as early as possible you know, before you think that you need it. Going into the larger projects, obviously an, an architect is an absolute must to create those specifications for the build team. And there's nothing better than walking onto site and there's a big site plan on the wall and everyone's working off you know, the same drawings and, and moving the project forward nice and quickly. So let's take a slightly larger project. Let's say somebody's bought a shop, commercial building on a, on a high street, they want to convert that to two flats. They engage somebody like yourself. So you're taking them from through the whole stage from initial discussions through to preparation, concept. And just tell us a little bit about how you would then actually create the full specification for the build team. So with a project like a conversion, say you're converting a shop into flats, there's all sorts of different issues to deal with. I would suggest engaging an architect before you purchase because the information that they give you could really inform the purchase price. So you could either be losing a deal because you're not offering enough because you haven't realized the potential value of the property, or you could be overpaying for a deal because you've overestimated how much it would be worth or how much you can squeeze in. So having an architect early on can be an educational process as well, because like any professional, they can teach you knowledge that has taken them years to gain and they can impart to you. So my grandfather always says you can't buy experience, but if you have the right team around you, you can kind of learn from that experience. And then you start with the initial consultation, you do a sketch proposal, feasibility, as we call it, to see what you could fit in. Then that would inform your numbers. You'd go back to an estate agent or a letting agent and see, especially if your architect is a property investor, I'm a little bit biased, but it does help for them to realize the correlation between the value that we're adding and what it's going to mean for the equity or the refinance at the other end. But our business provides this turnkey solution. So we look after a project from its initial inception all the way through the conveyancing process. We can overlap that with the design so that when the investor gets the keys, you're ready to hit the ground running. You've already gathered all your quotes. You've lined up all your professionals. You've had your surveys done. So at that point, we'd create a specification for the apartments. We'd create a, a completely different specification for the shop, for example. And you could also 
raise finance for your deal by using your architect's professional plans, your 3D visuals, maybe a 3D walkthrough, depending on the project. So it could help you bring your vision to life before you've even done it. It could help you market the units before you've even started the work. So something we often do with our projects is they'll hit the market as soon as the rip out started. So you can create a bit of a buzz around your marketing by saying, you know, this this is a big opportunity, get in before anybody else gets to see it. And perhaps you can have an input into the, the finishes. So you, you create a premium and you add more value by being able to market something before it's finished. Brilliant. So the developers then starting to work with the builders, which is where the, all the fun starts. And we're going to be covering the build element in the part two of our episode. And you've suggested that a good architect can also help, you know, project manage or assist with some regular check-ins throughout the, the project to ensure that the build is taking place in line with the design. Absolutely. And another topic that we haven't mentioned yet is health and safety. And I think a lot of landlords don't realise their responsibilities in terms of health and safety and leave it on all to the builder. But where you realize your responsibilities unfortunately is a little bit too late if there's an accident on site or you get an inspection from HSC and you're find, found to not be compliant with various health and safety regulations. So it depends on the scope of the project, but any type of development will fall under CDM regulations. So as a client, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, you can't check your builder So then having an architect means you have that extra layer of professionalism and advice where they can tell you what needs to be in place so that you tick all the boxes and don't end up doing anything wrong without even realising. Good stuff. We're going to touch on some more building related questions in part two of of our episodes today. Okay planning applications many many years ago I used to associate you know an architect with the planning department which obviously do go hand in hand although that's not the only areas that architects get involved in but within your business do you get involved in the planning applications and how does that work in terms of your design and then applications into the local authorities Yes, absolutely. So whether we're doing an extension, a loft conversion, whether we're designing a HMO layout, whether we're converting a building, whether we're doing any work to a listed building, quite often you need planning permission. So your architect will advise you. And regardless of whether you fall under permitted development, and there's a lot you can do under permitted development, you still need drawing. So you'll still need building regs. So you have to start with the design drawings to then convert those into construction drawings. And it becomes a much quicker, smoother process if you have an architect involved, you've got your existing drawings, your proposed drawings, then you convert them into technical drawings. Another reason you might need an architect and a planning application is if your title split in a property. So say you've bought a building, which is a freehold with four apartments, and you want to split them into four separate leaseholds. That's an investment strategy in its own. You would need an architect to do the drawings for land registry. So it can be something really simple. And I really don't want people to associate architects with thousands of pounds worth of fees because that's not always necessarily the case. And our services are split into lots of small different categories. And usually you can kind of pick and choose what it is that you need. But yeah, at the moment, councils, different councils are taking different lengths of time to determine planning applications, but it's almost at a record high in terms of how long planning applications are taken to be determined. So the sooner you can get your application in, the better, because instead of sort of the eight week turnaround for a 
a minor application, it's taken sort of more like three or four months currently. So having someone to chase the application on your behalf, make sure that any if anybody's made a complaint or an objection, that that's handled really quickly and you've kept on top of the planners. So we're already chasing our builders, we're chasing our solicitors, we don't want to be chasing the planners as well. So let a professional do that for you. Well, you've mentioned about planning departments at a record high. Sometimes I think it's just me and it's just my applications that seem to be problematic. But, you know, the planners are under a lot of pressure. They have been under a lot of pressure post-COVID or during COVID, should I say. But the time for approvals or declines is just growing and growing and growing and growing. And as someone who does, you know, a lot of applications, what's your thoughts on the general planning process, you know, in England? How do you find it? And just what's your general thoughts? So I I kind of compare the planning system to the conveyancing system. Like they're both a bit archaic. We've moved so much technologically. There's so many things you can do literally at the tip of your fingertips in seconds. But unfortunately, conveyancing and planning have not caught up. So there's a lot of inconsistency in the planning system. So different councils have different rules. They like things done in a different way which can be really frustrating. They're obviously under-resourced and the speed at which they do things is, again, inconsistent. You don't know. One application might be determined in seven weeks and that's a really pleasant surprise. And another one, you could be waiting a really long time. However, you can prepare yourself and be in the best possible position by having all your surveys or your reports, your design and access statements, any other documents that the planners might ask for that could delay the application. And trust me, they wait until the last minute to ask you for it. If you have done those things in advance, so your ecology reports, your BAT surveys, all these things that might creep up, if your planning consultant or your architect can preempt those things, you can get them done in advance, that will push your application to the top of the queue. Yeah. Okay, well, I I had a question saying, what's the one big tip that you could help people prepare for a successful application? And I think you've answered it there in terms of just making sure you've got everything ready that they require. Engaging your, your team early, so you can do a lot of research into the local planning policies, looking at what's happening at the moment, what are they approving, having a bit of time to look at nearby applications and how they were determined and what conditions they put in place. Again, so you can be better prepared rather than unpleasantly surprised. Yeah, that that way your team can advise you on potential costs, what reports and surveys you're going to need, and you can budget accordingly from the beginning. Good stuff. So you're working on a variety of projects, anything from, you know, small buy-to-let properties through to some grand design-esque buildings, no doubt. But what would you say has been one of your most interesting or most productive projects in and around the Stoke or Staffordshire area that you could share with us? So we're currently working on a new build sustainable home for a private client in the Coverswall area of Stoke-on-Trent, which is in the countryside. It's a really beautiful part of Stoke. And the building will be constructed out of SIPs panels, which are these really the kind of prefabricated, highly insulated panel so the entire building goes up in about four to six days so we're going to be filming a time lapse of the building going up and it's going to have features such as grey water harvesting for flushing the toilets and solar roof tiles for capturing electricity so it's going to be as kind of off the grid as possible which is obviously the future of housing and something that the architect the the planners sorry are very uh, keen to see 
due to the levels on that site, we've had to do extensive groundworks and build gabion retaining walls, basically these cages filled with local stone that are quite effective at holding the ground back. We also discovered a really beautiful brick-lined well on that site, and we built it up and made it into a landscaping feature with a bench seat and lighting and a bucket, of course. So it's it's about, for me, I, I really get fulfillment from getting to know a family, getting to know a site and designing it as their sort of forever home. That's not all that we do, but this one was has been quite a special one. Wow, that sounds absolutely stunning. That must be a really interesting interesting project to work on okay so using an architect within a hmo just talk to us a little bit about that and the importance of it so an architect can really help you maximize your floor space and plan each room really efficiently maybe come up with creative solutions to add value to the property and do an initial cost analysis and scope of works again as we said uh, previously It's important to remember that your architect might have a network of builders, planning consultants, structural engineers, surveyors, building inspectors, all these people, even fire officers who they work with closely. So you can leverage their network uh, rather than having to reinvent the wheel and find all these new professionals. So on the topic of HMOs, there is planning to consider, there's licensing, there's building regs, there's fire regulations. And unfortunately, these departments work quite independently of each other and quite often they can contradict each other as well. So you might have planning permission for something that isn't compatible with building regs, or you might have planning permission for a certain layout and then you can't actually get the fire escape route to be approved by your fire officer. So this is where the architect's experience and sort of inside out knowledge of the building regs will come in really, really handy. So rather than going to your local fire officer and asking them how you should design your fire strategy, that's the way you're going to come up with the most expensive solution. You could instead commission an architect to draw up the plans, design your fire risk strategy, write up your fire risk assessment, and then they're less likely to question a professional's proposal and make you upgrade to the most expensive solutions. So anything from the escape routes to where to put your emergency lights, your illuminated fire exit signs, escape window openings. So we've had it before where an investor didn't realize that the opening of the window wasn't suitable for a fire escape and they had to replace the windows on the top floor. So all of these kind of mistakes can be avoided and you can't trust your builder to know where to put the fire retardant plasterboard or a double plasterboard or a fire door with a self-closing device and so on. So these little things are better off planned in advance and added into a specification rather than having to be done retrospectively for you to get your final sign off. All right, good stuff. And for us, I mean, HMOs are just getting more and more and more complicated in terms of the rules, regulations and legislation. And most people go into it. And I even had an example just a few weeks ago where a gentleman had created a four bed HMO in Stoke and he hadn't put any fire doors on. He hadn't put any smoke detectors in the rooms and he did have locks on the doors And he said, you don't need to do that in Stoke. So I said, before we manage the property for you, 
we have to ensure that the, there's fire doors on, and there's smoke detectors in the rooms and so on. He proceeded to call the local authority who did confirm that was the case. And he then had to take out all of his doors. He's had to retrospectively fit his smoke alarm systems. And that's just lack of knowledge, really. And whilst I think he should, probably should have found them out himself, if he did have somebody on his team that could you know, point him in the right direction, then naturally that would save him money. He probably would have saved all your fees there. <laughs> But even something as simple as the swing of a door, which we don't always think about on plan or even walking around a building site, can make a big difference to how a room is used. So it's that holistic approach, again, of how you flow through the space, how you circulate, how you use it. And again, ultimately, if your tenants are happy, the landlord will be happy because they'll stay a long time. And, you know, if it's a HMO, they'll ask their friends to come and join them. And ultimately, it's a really good business decision to invest in design. So, Alexandra, when it comes to design in Stoke-on-Trent, we highly recommend your services. But please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you to discuss all things design going forward. So you can find us on Instagram at Powell Properties or on our website, which is www.powell-properties.uk. That will take you to our design and construction page, which has all of our services, examples of our work and so on. Fantastic. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.